are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, a community striving to follow Jesus and make disciples. Join us for one of our three worship gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Uh, Mike, could you uh, flash up on the screen that last picture of that, that song, Your Good, Good Father? I tell you what, on kind of a dreary, cloudy day, I kind of needed that picture today. I don't know about you, but, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this past weekend, I wasn't here last weekend, and I understand you had a, a, a good worship. I understand the power went out last weekend, so we had some technical difficulties. But, uh, uh, but last weekend, my wife and I, Jane, went to uh, Washington, D.C. to visit our daughter, uh, and her husband who lived there. And I tell you what, as we traveled uh, to D.C., um, just saw some beautiful countryside. And and uh, I, I grew up in southern Indiana, and I thought that was, and still think it's God's country. But, but, uh, but I tell you what, when you go through the rolling hills of Maryland, it's just absolutely beautiful. And while we're traveling, uh, that, that song, Your Good, Good Father, came on the radio. And it's just like, wow, God is a good father. And he's a great creator. And just this beautiful world that he's created, uh, just as a reminder of how, how truly awesome he is. I love those powerful words that we just finished singing. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. You know, those song lyrics are a great introduction to this new message series we're kicking off this weekend. Uh, We're kicking off a series entitled Identity. And during this very important series of messages, we're going to be examining Jesus' identity as it's revealed in the Bible. And we're going to be specifically looking and, and reading a number of verses over the next seven weeks uh, t- today and, and next seven weeks following uh, about how Jesus revealed his identity in one particular book of the Bible, the Gospel of John. And as we wrestle with Jesus' true identity in, in these pages of the Bible, we're also going to relearn and maybe for some of us learn for the first time, the importance of our new identity in Christ and what difference his identity should make in our life as we seek to be a church that's truly committed to following Jesus and making disciples. You know, I, I share that, that mission statement every week here at Southwest And we want you to know that that's not simply some trendy slogan or some fad we're going through as a church, but that we're really serious about being a church that's that's not just 
content with showing up on the weekends and singing some songs and getting some goosebumps, but but we really want to apply these teachings to our lives in such a way that that Monday through Saturday we are following Jesus every day of our life. And we want to make sure that we're we're just embracing that calling. In fact, this the weekend, uh, our leadership team, our elders, our leadership team, and to our leadership team, our minister staff, we all went away for a weekend. And, and this is a picture of, of everyone that went away. It was great. We, we went away for our what we thought was our spring retreat, okay? But we woke up, and uh, this was what we saw on Saturday. It was beautiful, uh, but I would have rather just had a picture, okay? But anyways, uh, uh, but it but it was great. But we had a wonderful time as we gathered together, reading scripture, praying, uh, being honest with each other of things that we saw, both as strengths and weaknesses in the church, and 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 really uh, brainstorming and praying and seeking God's lead for us to truly be a church that's living out our mission of following Jesus and making disciples. And I'm excited over the next uh, few months, you seeing some of the things that we uh, dreamed and prayed about and are planning, seeing some of those things becoming a reality. And so with that said, let's go ahead and pray now and then pray that God will bless the rest of our time together. So dear God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God that is You truly are a good father, Father. So thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do in our lives and in our hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for the the clear calling you've given us to just just put things aside, put traditions and, and put the baggage of the past aside and just get serious about following Jesus and then pouring our lives into others so that they too can be disciples. Of Jesus, And I pray, Father, that you'll lead us and show us how to live that out in everything that we do as a church. And I pray, Father, that during this series, that as we take a closer look at the identity of Jesus, that, that you will just draw us to him. And that as a result of that, Father, that we will see more clearly the, the new identity that we have in Christ. And that it truly will make a difference in our lives. So we just ask, Father, that you'll show up, and as you already have in our worship, but also that you'll just show up in our sharing with one another and our reading of Scripture, and that you'll just put on my heart words to say and a way to say it so that Jesus will be exalted up and lifted up in our minds and our hearts in a, in a real way today. We love you, God. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Identity. You see, if we are going to be effective in following Jesus as a church and as individuals, we must clearly see the one seeking to follow. In preparing for this message and message series, I've, I've been thinking a lot about the word identity. And in this reflection, I was reminded of a classroom assignment that I had when I was in seventh grade. Now, seventh grade has been just a few years for me uh, ago, uh, but, uh, but 
I don't know how many assignments you remember from seventh grade. I only remember a couple. One of them was a science experiment that went really bad as we were trying to create batteries. I, I don't know what, how, how that went so bad, but that was one. The second was this assignment that a social studies teacher gave us one day in class. We walked into class, and he said, okay, today for about 15 minutes, I just want you to take out a piece of paper, and I want you to write at the top of the piece of paper the words, I am, and then dot, dot, dot. And he says, you've got 15 minutes to finish that sentence. Just list word after word or phrase after phrase that describes who you are. So for about 15 minutes, we're writing, filling up a page of paper, describing ourselves. And then he collected the papers, and then he had volunteers read the papers that were anonymously submitted. And, of course, this, this mature bunch of emerging teenagers all giggled and tried to figure out whose was whose, okay? And I remember mine because it started pretty nondescript, something like I'm a son and I'm a brother, and which, you know, cut the group in half, okay, and then people try to figure out, then I, like most seventh grade boys, I said things like, I'm, a, I'm an athlete, okay, I thought I was, and, and uh, I probably said I'm a basketball player, which is what most little boys in Indiana would say, but then what tipped the scale that everybody knew it was me when, I, as I said, as a lifelong sufferer, hay fever sufferer, I said, I'm a sneezer, and everybody turned and said, Roger, okay, so the, the gig was up, okay, but but I remember that assignment because there was that sense of revealing yourself to your classmates. And uh, it, it was this idea of self-disclosure. If you had 15 to 20 minutes to fill out a page, at the top of the page, it just said, I am, what would you say? How honest would you be? How self-disclosing would you be? Interestingly enough, as, as we back up in history, we see that God himself uses this language more than 3,000 years ago to describe himself to one of the most prolific Bible writers, a guy named Moses. In fact, when God first called Moses to become the leader of his people, the, the Israelites, we find that Moses was a reluctant leader. He wasn't too excited about this call at first. In fact, he tries to even talk God out of it. And there's this very fascinating conversation that occurs between the Lord and Moses. And the Bible records it this way in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there or just pull out the message insert and follow along. In verse 13, but Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, which is the name of God, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So in this initial calling of Moses, God 
uh, you know, reveals himself to Moses, and he reveals to Moses his name, Yahweh. We, we, we believe that was just four consonants in the Hebrew language, Y-H-W-H. In fact, in Scripture, in, in our English Bible, in, in most uh, editions, and I know in the NIV and the NLT and most translations, uh, when we see in Scripture that the word Lord, all capitalized, that's the actual name of God. It's those four letters in the Hebrew. And, and Moses is saying this, I mean, the Lord's saying to Moses, this is my name. And, the, and that name in and of itself is a derivative of the verb to be. And so in a very... Uh, nondescript way, but also descriptive, uh, God, the Lord is, says to, to, to Moses, I am who I am. In a sense, Moses slides the piece of paper across the table to the Lord and says, I am who? And God sends it back, I am who I am. Now, I'm grateful, honestly, that I live on this side of Jesus Christ Because if that's all we really knew about who the Lord is, I am who I am, there would be a lot of mystery. And, of course, I think it's good that there's some mystery in trying to understand. That that mystery draws us into the very uh, worship of, of God Almighty. And yet I'm so grateful that in Jesus Christ we can see more clearly God's nature and God's character. Let's fast forward. A thousand years later, the Bible records that Jesus came on the scene and, and the Bible describes him as the unique son of God. And John records it this way in John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the father's heart. He has revealed God to us. One author commentating on this scripture simply said, Jesus Christ, the living word, as John described him as the living word, is the ultimate disclosure of God himself. You see, when we look at the person of Jesus Christ, we can begin to understand more fully the nature and character of the one who first described himself as I am who I am. Our plan is, through this message series, is to discover how Jesus revealed and described himself and, in a sense, through that, revealed to us who this great I am is. We're going to be looking through the Gospel of John, and we're going to be looking at a number of ways that Jesus describes himself as I am. And in that, we will come to understand and know more fully the God that we worship. Interestingly enough, when Jesus came upon the scene, he often used that phrase, I am. The, the first time that he really reveals his identity to someone in the Gospel of John is, interestingly enough, a person with a checkered background. It's this woman that he has this conversation with in John chapter 4. And I love the fact that when Jesus came to the earth, that he came for people that didn't have their life all together. Kind of like the woman that we're going to read about here in this story. Kind of like us, okay? Kind of like me. 
people that have problems, people that have challenges, people that have weaknesses, people that have pasts that they're not always proud of. And in this particular story, Jesus strikes up a conversation with a woman who's had a problem in her relationships. Scripture tells us she's been married five times and now she's living with a guy that she wasn't married. And although Jesus doesn't condone or approve of her present living situation, he still befriends her in love. And he chooses out of all the people on the earth for her to be the first person that he really identifies his true identity. Jesus, uh, John records it this way in John chapter 4 in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. By the way, it's important for us to note that this particular part of the conversation took place following a uh, uh, the, the time in the conversation where Jesus really put his finger on the sore spot of her life, the fact that she had trouble with relationships. Now, the text doesn't tell us for, for sure what, why she was married five times. I mean, possibly she had been a widow five times. I mean, that could be the case. But if that were the case, there would be a lot of pain, right? A lot of, a lot of hurt, a lot of grief, a lot of struggles, but my hunch is based on the rea- her reaction to Jesus' questioning and, and, and just the way that the conversation plays out, my hunch is that she had a past of broken relationships. And my hunch is that, that it wasn't just always the other person's fault, that she carried some of the guilt, some of the shame, some of the baggage of those failed relationships in her own heart. And I believe that this woman had issues of guilt and shame and that she was desperately longing for a savior, a Messiah, a redeemer. And it's in this context that Jesus shows up, has a conversation with her. And when she says, I know the Messiah is coming, he just simply states, I am he. I like that. In other words, Jesus is saying to this woman and he's saying to us 2,000 years later when we struggle with guilt and shame and when we struggle with trouble and problems in our life, Jesus is saying, I'm the solution. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Redeemer. I'm the one that's going to help you make sense of everything. If you'll just keep your eyes fixed on me. Now, for those who have guilt and shame in their life and know down deep that they have problems, this is good news. This is great news that Jesus has come to bring hope. And yet for those who think they have it all together and don't really need any outside help, this can be offensive That was the case for the religious people of 
Uh, by the way, my microphone's cutting out, okay? So I don't know if we've got battery issues or what, but I'm going to keep going. I'll just talk louder, okay? But anyways, uh, that, that uh, a little later in John's gospel, we, we read about Jesus carrying on a conversation with some Jewish people who took great pride in tracing their ancestry back to the patriarch Abraham. And they were offended when they heard Jesus teaching in such a way that insinuated that he was more of more importance than their ancestor Abraham. John records it this way in John 8, verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, there we see our phrase again, I am. At this they, point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. Now, sometimes when we read these, these I am statements of Jesus, we miss the subtle and yet powerful statements that Jesus was making. Today, we find debates in writing and on blogs whether or not Jesus ever claimed to be deity. Did Jesus ever claim to be God? Some will argue. And although it's subtle, I do believe he truly does self-disclose that he is deity and that the religious scholars and, and the religious leaders of their day, they got it. They got what he was saying. When he would say, I am, he, when he would say, I am, before Abraham was even born, they got it. They didn't like it, but they got it. In fact, they, they disliked it so much, they wanted to silence him. They picked up stones to try to kill him. During the next seven weeks, we're going to examine seven specific self-descriptive statements recorded in John, where in each of these statements, Jesus said, I am something. And in those I am statements, he clearly and boldly identifies himself as God's son, that although distinct from the Father, he is deity. He is God in the flesh. One scholar commentating on this text wrote about Jesus, he is identifying himself so closely with the one true and living God that he can speak of himself as being there even before Abraham existed. And although we can sometimes read this and miss these subtle self-descriptions, the religious leaders and officials of Jesus' day, they fully got it. And they were upset. They viewed it as blasphemy that Jesus would be stating that he was equal to the great I am, God, the God that revealed himself to Moses. To them, it was as ludicrous as somebody today shooting a jump shot and saying, boy, James Naismith, when he invented basketball, was thinking of me. Or somebody swinging a baseball bat saying, man, Al Abner Doubleday, when he invented baseball, was thinking of me with this swing. Now, if we would hear somebody making a statement like that today, we'd say, that is so arrogant. But for Jesus, it wasn't arrogance. It was truth. As John is recording the Jesus story, he's telling us plainly, if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. And as we help just 
personalize this introduction of this series, let's look briefly at two incidences in John where Jesus answers a situation or an issue by just simply saying, I am. The first is found in John chapter 6. And in verse 16, we see a very difficult situation that Jesus' first followers found them in. So let's read this powerful episode together. In John 6, verse 16, it says, That evening Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They'd rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid. There's our word again. I am here. Then they were eager to let him in the boat. I would guess so. And immediately they arrived at their destination. For the people of Jesus' day who made their living in the fishing industry, there was probably nothing more terrifying than being out in the middle of a lake with a family-owned business boat and have a huge storm come upon you. The scripture says that it was a gale storm. So I had to research that. I mean, I know Gale Sayers, he, he, he was pretty fast, but I mean, what is, what is a gale? So I had to look that up. I don't know if you know what that is, but a gale is a storm that has winds as high as 40 to 60 miles an hour. Now, I got a chance to go to Israel a few years ago, and I got to see the Sea of Galilee, and I got to see a replica of the kind of boats they fished in. They weren't that big. And I can't imagine how terrifying it would be to be out in the middle of the water and have 50 or 60 miles of wind coming on you, and you're being rocked every which way, and you're thinking, we're going to lose the family boat. We're going we're gonna to probably lose our lives. And in the midst of that storm, what do they, they look at and they see Jesus walking on the water. Now, how cool would that have been? But it says they were, they were terrified. And, and Jesus comes on them. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I am here. I'm here. You know, from time to time, I, I'm called upon to sit down with somebody that's Received some really tough news. This week, that was the case. I sit down with a family that their world had been rocked with some news that nobody wants to receive. And, you know, sometimes a gale-type storm will just blow into our lives and just rock our world. Maybe it's the news of a loved one that suddenly died. Maybe it's the news from a doctor that a recent test came back and we hear the C word. Maybe for others it's receiving a note 
or seeing some action that communicates clearly someone that we love dearly no longer loves us. Or maybe it's receiving news from some corporate office in another state that the job that we've worked for 15 years is now just going to be eliminated. The truth of it is those gale-type winds and storms blow into our lives from time to time, and it rocks our world. And I think it's in those moments that we need to allow ourselves to, to realize what it would have been like to have been in that boat with those first followers of Jesus and how their world was being rocked. And what they needed at that time was just to, to be reminded from Jesus, I'm here. And so sometimes, like this week, when I sit down with this family, that their life was rocked and their hearts were all torn up. It was hard to know, what, what do you say? I wrestled. I, I just sat in silence. And, and I said, can we pray? And during that prayer, I just prayed that, that the Lord would make himself known to them and just wrap, wrap his arms around them. There was nothing profound I said, but it was just in that moment, I just wanted them to know Jesus is here. He cares for you. And I think when we get rocked, we just need to be reminded and we need to hear Jesus whisper into our hearts, Don't be afraid. I'm here. I am. One of the greatest promises of of being in a covenant, committed relationship with Jesus is that we have written assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. Even if others do, he never will. And that if we are serious about following him and embracing his mission for our life, we can have confidence that he will always be with us. That's the promise that he gives us. I am here. There's one more incident in Jesus' life that we want to look at together today. When he just used the simple phrase, I am, but it communicated so much. In this setting is the setting toward the end of John in John chapter 18. And the scene is he's been praying and, and he's been preparing his followers. He's been preparing himself in prayer for what he knows is going to come. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested And he knows in just a short time he'll be crucified. And it's in that scene that that once again we see Jesus in the midst of chaos just utter these powerful words, I am. I want you to to read this with me and see see if you can picture this in your mind. In, In the midst of all this tragedy and all this drama that's unfolding, this is one of my favorite scenes. In John 18, verse 1, it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and, and he, his disciples, went into it. 
Now, Judas had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Now, here's our phrase. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Oh, man, I would have loved to have seen that, wouldn't you? I mean, can you picture these soldiers coming with torches and swords and an angry grimace on their faith and they're thinking, we're gonna arrest this troublemaker. We're gonna put an end this, this revolt, this rebellion. And they come up to him and they're expecting probably somebody ready to run, but instead they meet courage. And they said, we're here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, and, I, and, and it's interesting in the original language in the, in the Greek translation, the Greek, uh, the New Testament before it was translated to English, literally all Jesus says when they said, we're here to arrest Jesus of Nazareth, he just says, I am. I love it. And when he says, I am, you know, some have tried to figure out what happened. Were they all marching in single step and then they, one person took back and they all tripped over each other? I don't know. I tend to think that when Jesus said, I am, he said it with such authority and boldness and clarity that they realized even though they came with hard hearts that they were in the presence of someone they had never been in the presence of before. I just have to believe, as as one scholar suggested, that their reaction, whether voluntary or involuntary, mirrors what people in the Bible do when they come face-to-face with God. I tend to think that when Jesus answers so calmly, confidently, and authoritatively, I am, that they recognized what Moses recognized more than a thousand years earlier, that they were in the presence of God Almighty, the great I am. And they recognized in that moment that Jesus was also bold and innocent, was truly holy. I am holy. You see, when we come face to face with the holiness of God, the only appropriate response is for us to fall on our faces and humbly acknowledge that Jesus is truly the Holy One. He is truly God's Son, God in the flesh. And although He was completely holy and without sin, He was willing to humbly surrender his life to the Father's will and not only be arrested, but be willing to go to death on our behalf. You see, the one who was completely holy died for those of us who aren't holy in and of ourselves so that he could make us holy. Isn't that good news?
And we need times of holy reflection to realize that the one we worship in Jesus Christ is truly awesome. So as we begin this journey of discovering the true identity of Jesus, let's just close out our time together today with a time of holy communion, reflecting on the one who came from heaven to earth, who lived and died for us so that we could be in a relationship with him. We, we take communion every week, but let's never allow it to just become a routine. Let's realize that when we take the bread and we take the cup, that we're remembering the one who is worthy of all of our worship and all of our lives and all of our love and all of our devotion because he truly is the great I am. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that in scripture we get to see who you are. It begins with just a glimpse of the burning bush and you declaring to Moses that you are who you are, that you are the great I am. But I'm so grateful that you allowed us to to see more clearly who you are through the person of Jesus. Help us, Father, keep our eyes on him. Help us as a church just just be just overtaken with how great he is so that our lives are just surrendered to following him in every way. Help us during this time of communion just to reflect on how awesome Jesus is and how though he was completely holy and without sin, he was willing to take our place on the cross so that we could be declared holy. Help us take this communion, this bread and this cup with gratitudes in our heart and awe in our mind of how great Jesus is. It's in his name we pray.